We okay? Are we all surrendered up? Spend some time in the presence of the Lord. It's wonderful. You don't have a God who is afar off and distant. We have a God who is intimately interested in the details of our life. A God who wants to walk with us. Who wants to be with us. Who wants to empower and fill us. That we might walk together. Isn't that an amazing thing? That is amazing. I'm going to uh, start a new series today called The Qualities of an Overcomer. Just to get you in the in the flow, so to speak. A question, how can you tell that it's going to be a lousy day? Okay, you can tell it's going to be a lousy day if you turn on the news and they're showing emergency routes out of the city. You can tell it's going to be a lousy day if you find a panorama news team waiting in your office. You can tell it's going to be a lousy day when your birthday cake collapses from the weight of all the candles. You can tell it's going to be a lousy day when your twin sister forgot your birthday. You can tell it's going to be a lousy day when you call suicide prevention and they put you on hold. John, have you ever done that? You can tell it's going to be a lousy day when your horn goes off accidentally and remains stuck as you follow a group of hell's angels on the motorway. You can tell it's going to be a lousy day when you wake up and your braces are locked together. Does that actually happen to anybody? Probably not. You can tell it's going to be a lousy day when you put both contact lenses in the same eye. You can tell it's going to be a lousy day when your wife says, Good morning, Bill, and your name is George. <laughs> Let me uh, ask you a few questions again to get the juices flowing. The first question is, how do you usually feel when you first get out of bed in the morning? And I suspect probably the answer is I don't feel at all until my third cup of coffee. But you know what I mean. How do you feel when you first get up? Is there that, yes, can't wait to get at it, bring it on? Or is there, oh my word. But it's so warm and snug and cosy in here. Do I really have to go out and face that bitter, hard, cold world? How do you feel when you first wake up in the morning? Question number two. What would be, generally speaking... What would be your honest response to the question that we're asked over and over and over again? Hey, how are you? I mean, if I was to ask you the question today, which I won't because there's far too many of you, hey, how are you? And if you were to give me that really honest answer, what would the answer be? Hold that thought. Third question. Which of these would best describe your life? That's what I want. Give me that. Which of these would best describe the spirit of Josie out there this morning? Uh, first of all, surviving. Is that how you feel about your life? Surviving, kind of avoiding disasters, just about hanging in there. What about, what about marking time? Kind of going through the motions, if I'm honest. A little bit disappointed with where I've ended up. Monday morning, here we go again. What about this one? What about sinking? Maybe you feel that you're sinking. Maybe you feel that, frankly, you've been beaten up by life. Or maybe you feel that you're winning. Yay, that's a bit more like it. You know, maybe your life is full of hope. It's full of purpose. Maybe peace and joy are the characteristics of your life. Which of those 
would best describe your life? And then my fourth question is, which of those four should be your Christian testimony? Big clue. Big clue. Which of those should be your Christian testimony? Now, it occurred to me this week as I was pondering, you know, the very best thing that your pastor can say to you on a Sunday morning is, you can do it. To say to you, you are going to make it. That God will come through for you. I'm going to go better than that. I'm going to teach a whole series on that. And the series is going to be called Qualities of an Overcomer. And it starts off with a premise. And the premise is this, that Jesus' sacrifice was not just about your death, but also about your life. Jesus' sacrifice is not just about your eternal security, where you're going to go when you die, but it was actually so that you could live a victorious life. We talk, don't we, about the great exchange, the gracious exchange, I heard it called this week. You could call it the glorious exchange, where Jesus died your death so that you could then go on to live his life with his promises and his power, and his protection, and his provision, and his peace. The well-known verse I quote often, John 10, verse 10, says, A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. What I like to do, is I look, like to look up these verses in as many different translations as I can to get the, the um, flavour of it, as it were. And one I found this week was the contemporary English version, which said, talked about having life in its fullest. And I don't know about you, I, I hear the word fullest, I think it's an ugly word. I wonder whether it really is a word. And I'm thinking, how can you be fullest? Surely you're either full or you are not. It's my logic. And then I started pondering that in my very deep masculine brain, thinking, well, I have two portions of apple pie. I am full. If I have three portions of apple pie, I am fuller. So maybe it is possible to have full, fuller, and fullest. Or maybe you're just full or you're not. I'm not quite sure. But in essence, full means that you cannot squeeze in any more. And this is the kind of life that Jesus was promising us, life to the full. The Amplified says, I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full until it overflows. New Living Translation talks about rich and satisfying life. Isn't that what we want? The message talks about real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. I make a big statement. The big statement is that the Christian life should be, should be the most joyful, most peaceful, most humorous, most adventurous life of all. I didn't say easiest. I said it should be the most joyful, peaceful, humorous, adventurous life of all because Jesus came that we might have this abundance of life. John went on to write in, in his third epistle, second verse, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul 
prospers. And this idea of fullness of life carries with it the idea of a, of a prosperity and an abundance and an overflowing life. In the light of that, let me ask you those four opening questions again. How do you feel getting out of bed in the morning? How, how do you normally answer the question, hey, how are you doing? How would you describe your life? Would you describe it as surviving, marking time, sinking without trace, or winning? And if the opening premise is that Jesus' sacrifice was not just about your death, but also about your life, then I think we can extend that. We extend it like this. God wants to have, God wants to have a profound impact on your life, on your heart, on your thought life, on your relationships, on your workplace, on the way you steward your time and your money. And then he wants you to have a profound impact upon your world, little w and big W. But John 10, verse 10, if we look at the first part at least, implies unequivocally and categorically that there are two forces with intentions for your life. Jesus said, I, and Jesus is for life and for fullness and for wholeness and for fruitfulness. The other character in the verse is the thief. The thief is for destruction, is for constriction, is for slavery, and is ultimately for death. For the mathematicians among you, Jesus is for addition and multiplication. The thief is for subtraction and division. If that's too subtle for you, then I'll put it in more simple terms. God, good, devil, bad. I, I can't put it much more simply than that, but be very careful that you don't confuse those in your thinking. There are two forces with intentions for your life, and those intentions are very different. Okay, with that set up, let's look at the, the key passage for this series. And the key passage is 1 John chapter 5, and it's verses 3, 4, and 5, and it goes like this. This is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So here comes the good news. 1 John 5 verse 4 says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. And in case it's too subtle, you didn't get it, the expression overcomes the world is mentioned three times in that little short verse there. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. I want to focus in particularly on two words there. The first one is the word everyone, and the second is the word overcome. We'll also learn a little bit about the word world. So what does everyone mean? I know this is going to be complex. 
everyone means everyone. It means all. In this case, it's everyone born of God. So for those people born of God, the expectation is that they will overcome the world. Who does that mean? That means his kids, his children, the citizens of his kingdom. You know, we get to overcome. We do because we are included, hopefully, in that everyone born of God. We get to overcome because Jesus has redefined the terms. Jesus has swung the balance. Jesus completely changed the climate because Jesus won the decisive victory. We get to overcome. And today, for you, for everyone, and through the course of this series, I want to implant an expectation into you. There may well be a new expectation for some of you. There may be old expectations that need to be flushed out. But the expectation is that you are an overcomer. You are an overcomer. And what do overcomers do? Answer, they overcome. You are an overcomer, and overcomers overcome. And this is what the Christian life should look like. Remember those four questions at the start? Big hint, number four. This is what the Christian life should look like. This should be your experience, overcoming the world. This is what Jesus Christ has set up for us, that we might live as overcomers of the world. I'm going to give you four more verses to make sure you get this loud and clear. Luke 10, verse 19. Jesus said, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all, say all, thank you, the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Power to overcome. Matthew 16, verse 18 says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Say, will not overcome it. Thank you for humoring me. 1 John 2, verse 14. John likes this topic. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. 1 John 4, verse 4. You, dear children, are from God, and overcome, have overcome them. And it's referring there to the spirit of Antichrist. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You have overcome them. Everyone. Born of God. Let's look at the word overcome. Again, fairly straightforward. The word overcome means to defeat, to conquer, to prevail, to overpower means to gain the victory, to win the race, to clear the hurdle, to climb the mountain. I don't know, that sounds like pretty good news to me. We are overcomers. And what are we called to overcome? Overcome the world. And what is the world? The world, in essence, is everything that the thief, the enemy, the devil can throw at you. If you look up the word world here, it doesn't mean the physical world, the earth that we jump up and down on. The word is cosmos, and what it means is the attitudes and the systems and philosophies that pervade and permeate the society and culture that we live in. 
the attitudes, systems, and philosophies that have, to a large degree, taken over the world in which we live. This is still a realm in which Satan, our enemy, exerts considerable influence. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. Uh, Paul describes Satan as the god of this world. Small g, not big g. It's a small g. The New Testament talks quite a bit about the spirit of the world. And we are up against constantly, aren't we, with the seduction of the system, the pressure that, that our culture exerts on us. If we're honest and we examine our Christian life, we understand what Paul meant when he talked about fiery darts from the evil one. We've all experienced fiery darts. You might have experienced fiery darts this week. We've all been subject to the temptations and the insidious lies and, and what can only amount to be described as personal attacks. It feels personal, it feels direct. The good news is we get to overcome. We get to defeat, to conquer, to prevail, to overpower. We get to gain the victory, to win the race, to clear the hurdle and to climb the mountain. We get to overcome. Not we get to survive. Not we get to mark time. Not we get to sink. Not that we have to tolerate. Not that we have to avoid or we get to avoid. But we get to overcome the world. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. So what Jesus said, John 16, verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble that you can't avoid. You will have trouble. But take heart, Jesus said, for I have overcome the world. That's good news, isn't it? You could be happy about that, but we'll get to that. We're working this message in this morning. So let me swing this question around to you. Let me ask you a mean question. I like asking mean questions because it makes you think. The question is this. If you were honest and you had to describe your life right now, would you say that you were overcoming the world or that the world was overcoming you? Don't answer that out loud. Just ponder that this morning. Do you feel that you are overcoming the world or do you get this sense that the world is enclosing Trampling on, overcoming you. That kind of makes me think a little bit, you know, how, how actually do you measure that? I mean, how do you measure if I'm overcoming or not? I suspect we instinctively know. And I think it would be fair to say, probably in life, that we have ups and downs. There are days in which I overcome more than others, possibly. How can we tell that the world is in ascendancy, how can we tell that we're overcoming? Ponder that briefly, and, and not to, to dwell on this too long, but I come up with three signs, that there are others, three signs that the world is in, the, in ascendancy in your life. That perhaps if I asked that question, who's overcoming whom, you'd have to say the world may be getting the upper hand. And the three signs are, number one, habitual sin. Number two, negative emotions. I'll explain these a little bit. And number three is, is far, you're far from God. 
The first one, habitual sin. We're talking about sin that you just can't shake off. If you can't break those habits, if you can't break those shackles, then the sense is the world is overcoming you. You know, if that sin is leading in your life to repeated train wreck, that, that in turn will lead to a kind of lingering sense of shame and ultimately just hold you prisoner. If you're being held prisoner by habitual sin, I suspect that the world is overcoming you. The second one, negative emotions. What, what I mean by this is repeated, negative, deflating, debilitating emotions that you just can't seem to rise above. And there's a long list of these. I mentioned the main ones, things like fear. I mean, we know where fear comes from. Things like worry, things like that, that frustration, anger. If you have that built up, deep, frustrated anger inside you, I suspect that's a clue that the world is overcoming you. You know, maybe there's, there's a jealousy, maybe it's lust, whatever it is. If you can't rise above that, then I suspect you need this series on overcoming the world. And the third one, the third clue, if you like, is, is really that your relationship with the Lord is struggling. And obviously, this is the world's express purpose. The world is trying to seduce you away, actually drive you away in any way that it can from God, who is our source and our supply, because the God of this world is after your worship and wants to kind of steal it from you. So those are the, the three indicators, at least, that the world is in the ascendancy. Let's just flip those over and see what, what it means for you to be overcoming the world. Three signs that you and God are in ascendancy. Number one is that the power of habitual sin has been broken off your life. And if you've been through that surrender, you've experienced that breakthrough. And that breakthrough has led to degrees of freedom. That freedom leads to a life of holiness and godliness. Habitual sin broken. And the second one is that you're able to deal with these negative emotional imposters, fear and anxiety and worry and lust and all of these things, to the point where, I mean, they're still going to be there, you're still going to, you're still going to be jabbed and poked, you're still going to have trouble, but to the point where you can rise above, you can process, you can overcome, you can turn them around. And the third one, not that your relationship with God is struggling, but your walk with God is positive and vibrant and fruitful to the point where the tug of the world on you has been minimalized, if you like. So then, back, back to the key question. The key question really is how then do we overcome the world? How do we, do we actually step into the reality of what John wrote in his letter. And we need to be realistic at the outset to say that there is a real opposition. You will experience temptation and you will find that the world is tugging at you. You never become so mature in the Christian faith that you become exempt from all of that kind of stuff. In fact, many times it intensifies as you mature. But what we can learn to do 
is we can learn to overcome. We can develop a maturity and a strength and an authority that enables us to overcome. And what I want to do through the next few weeks leading up to Easter, really, is to dig into that. How can we actually overcome? And today, in the time that's left, I'm just going to look at one big picture principle, which sums up, I think, the how. How do we overcome the world? In order to, uh, to go through this, I'm going to read a passage of scripture that you're hopefully familiar with, Romans chapter 8, which is a wonderful chapter. And I'm going to read quite a long stretch from verse 28 through to the end. And it goes like this. And we know that God causes everything to work together for good, for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so this son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us for whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honour at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. An amazingly rich, uh, with some incredible highlights. It starts by saying, we know then all these things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, God is working good. Surely that's a great clue as to how we overcome the world. Verse 31 said, if God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, that revelation changes everything, doesn't it? If God be for us. Then verse 38, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nothing, it goes on to say, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And right there towards the end, verse 37, the verse I want to highlight in on just for the last few minutes. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him, Christ, who loved us. Bearing in mind, 1 John 5, verse 4, everyone born of God overcomes the world. Romans 8, verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. Put out a couple of words. I want to pull out the word in. In all these things. In means slap, bang, right in the middle of all these things. And let's for a second look at Paul's list of all these things. His list is trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. And that sounds pretty grim to me. He doesn't leave very much out of that list. And yet in all these things, in all of that, we are more than conquerors because we are overcomers. We overcome the world. The word more than overcome is a little Greek word, hupenikau. The second part, nikau, means essentially to conquer. And, and Paul could have written, in, in these things we, we conquer the world, we overcome the world. But that wasn't good enough. There was a dramatic emphasis he wanted to put on. So he put the word hyper in front of it. Hyper, more than conquerors, exceedingly wonderfully, amazingly, overcomingly powerful conquerors. Tremendous, dramatic emphasis. In all of these things, right in the middle of all of these things, you are more than conquerors through him. Through him who loved us. And there's a massive point that I want to draw you out of this, is that the more than conquerors part, the more than conquerors of Romans 8.37 is independent of circumstances. In fact, the hoop and the cow in this verse is slap bang in the middle of the worst circumstances that you could possibly imagine. And so actually, your circumstances are not the determining factor. Actually, it's who Christ is to you. It's who Christ is in you. It's who Christ is through you, and how you respond to that, that matters. And in the light of that, Paul's able to write this amazing little line in Philippians 4, verse 11. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Whatever the circumstances. I've learned to be content. I've learned to find that peace, that joy, that contentment, that strength, that victory, whatever the circumstances might throw at me. So I'll put it like this. Overcoming isn't based on the circumstances of your life. Overcoming is based on the attitudes of your life. As I pondered that, I remember a friend of mine at university. He was an older student. He was an Arabic student. And, and he's, one of his favorite lines was, was, how are you today? Oh, mustn't grumble. I really like to, but I mustn't grumble. And after a year of that, you kind of got the message of what he was trying to say. I remember going back, you know, 
someone highlighting this in a message. The question, how are you? I'm okay under the circumstances. Have you ever said that? I'm okay under the circumstances. And I remember Bob Hodge in discipleship lessons when I was about 14, 15 saying, under the circumstances, you're not under the circumstances. You're above the circumstances. And the point is, I think that the, we all recognize, don't we, we cannot control our circumstances. We cannot control everything that's happening around us. We cannot control the way other people respond. We cannot control the decisions that they make. We cannot control, we can influence, but we cannot control. This is why it's so very hard to be a control freak. You cannot control, you can influence. What you can control is your attitude. You can control your perspectives and your priorities. You can control your choices and you can control your responses. It's not always easy. There are multiple factors involved in all of this. We know that we need to let God in. We need to let, let his word renew our thinking. But ultimately, we have the responsibility to learn how to control our attitude. Cannot control our circumstances, but we can control our attitudes. A wonderful biblical example for this would be Daniel. And if you're familiar with the story of Daniel, time and time again, he faced really grim circumstances, but he never allowed his, his positive attitude to be shaken, and we know where he ended up. So we start off with a scene, don't we, where they're being, they're being placed, the young uh, captive Hebrews are being placed in amongst the Babylonians in their finishing school, as it were, and they're bringing out the, the meal, you know, and they're trying to build these guys up into be, to be young champions. And they bring out the food, but unfortunately it's meat that's been offered to their idols. And Daniel is saying, there's no way I can do that. There's no way I can eat that. There's no way in my conscience I can eat that. But what does he do? He rises above those circumstances. And he says, he makes a deal, doesn't he? He says, I promise, he said, you just feed us your vegetables and you watch. God will provide for us. And at the end of the test period, they were stronger and healthier than the Babylonian young men. And then we see, don't we, we see the, the mandate put out, the, the edict, you're not allowed to pray. You're only allowed to pray to, essentially, to the king. And Daniel gets caught, decides, I'm going to pray anyway, and he gets thrown into the lion's den. Remember that story? Again, great opportunity for, for Daniel to live under the circumstances, but Daniel rises above it, and what happens? God comes through for Daniel every single time, and Daniel goes on the journey from slavery, captivity, actually to becoming the second most powerful person in the whole of the kingdom. Because David knew that it wasn't his circumstances that were key to his overcoming his world. It was his attitudes that were key. And we cannot deny that Daniel overcame his world. So again, the key is that it's our attitudes, not our circumstances, it's how you walk, not what the outside world throws at you. The outside world can throw anything at you and probably will. But you can walk through. You can rise above. 
You can flourish in spite of all that. Hence Bob Hodges' quip, are we living under the circumstances or are we living above the circumstances? Again, Romans 8, 37, knowing all these things, whatever the world is throwing at you, whatever's on your plate right now, whatever challenges you're facing, actually in those things, we are now by position, by nature, in Christ, more than conquerors. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. Didn't I say what I'm trying to feed into you through this series is a new expectation that I am an overcomer in Christ. And what overcomers do is they overcome. And one of the other key phrases in Romans 8.37 is more than conquerors, through him, through Christ. When we realise who Christ is, what he's done, we realise that we have the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, dwelling inside of us, Romans 8.11. We realise all the promises that are now ours because we are in Christ Jesus. So 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4, which was one of Bob Hodges' favourites, as I remember, 30 years ago. He says that we have been given all things pertaining to life and godliness. Everything that we need, everything that we need to live, a life of godliness, we've been given. It says, it goes on to say in verse 4, by his divine power, we've been made partakers of his divine nature. That is, that is what we now have. This is who we are. We are now overcomers in Christ Jesus. Once we recognize that Romans 8.28, God is always working good. Once we recognize Romans 8.31, that if God be for us, who can be against us? God is working for us. That makes us an overcomer. In Luke 10 verse 19, Jesus said, I have given you authority. We're going to look through this series a little bit about, about the authority that we've been given. The message is going to be titled, Time to Rise Up and Take the Authority that's been given to you in your home, in your marriage, in your family, and so on. No wonder we're more than conquerors when we think about the promises of God that we've been given. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, The promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. We've been given the sword of the Spirit. We've been given the full armour of God. We realise that this is what we have. This is who we are. No wonder John wrote, everyone born of God overcomes the world. I love this verse that I read this week. Psalm 18, verse 28 and 29 in the New Living Translation says, You light a lamp for me. The Lord my God lights up my darkness. And here we go. In your strength I can crush an army. With my God I can scale any war. I love that. And I'd say with all of that, actually, how can, we, how can we not overcome? We should. We've been well armed. Christ has provided for us the keys. And actually to do everything that Jesus has for us to do, individually, collectively, we're going to have to learn to live as overcomers. We're going to have to be Cooper Nickow, more than conquerors. We have to learn to live life as victors, not victims. 1 John 5 verse 4 says, This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes 
that Jesus is the Son of God. Now we are called to a faith-filled, spirit-led, bold Christianity. We're not called to something that is faithless, called something that is wishy-washy and defensive. You know, I already read Matthew 6, 16, 18, the gates of hell will not, shall not overcome it. Talking about the church. Why? Because we're an invading army. That's not, we've heard before, that, that verse is about defense. There aren't gates rushing at us. We're called to rush at those gates, and those gates will not stand in our way because we are overcomers. What we now have to do, we have to learn how to live in the reality of the new nature that we've been given. This is now who we are. And it's time for us to step into that. It's time for us to step into the fullness of life. It's time to step into the spirit-filled life. It's time to step into the overcoming life. So that's the plan. We're going to go through over the next few weeks. Actually, next week's a special, different week with a, with a significant focus. Look forward to that. But, but over the course of the series, we're going to look at various different qualities that you need to have in order to step into the reality, the fullness of what it means to be an overcomer. There we go. Let's pray. If the worship team would like to come forward, that would be great. I will pray, and then we will sing a closing song, and then we will eat cake and drink coffee. Father, we're so grateful for everything that you've done for us. We're so grateful that you've sent Jesus. We, we know the significance and the weight of the victory that he's won. And we're in awe of what he's done for us. And we recognize now there is a call on our lives. There is, there is a new destiny and a new purpose for us. And in order to accomplish that, we are going to need to step into what it means to overcome the world. And I don't know what people thought when I read those early questions out. You know, do we feel like we're marking time? We're hanging in there. How do we feel when people ask us these questions? But I'm convinced that in Christ we are called to be more than conquerors and our lives should reflect that. There should be no doubt what our Christian testimony should be. Not that life is easy, not that all of a sudden we escape and miss out and all these things, but now we have the sword of the Spirit in our hands. Now we have the Holy Spirit leading and empowering us. Now we are in Christ Jesus. Now we are overcomers. And my prayer, Lord, over everyone in this room is that through the next few weeks as we dig into some areas here, Lord, that we'd all learn what that means. That those people who are right now are floundering, struggling, finding it really hard, will be able to find a new freedom and a new victory and a new purpose. For those people that are ticking on well, Lord, that it'll inspire them and it'll embolden them and it'll fill them with faith to step up to the next level, to be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. So the Holy Spirit, we just commit this course to you and we pray that you would speak to each one of us through it. The wonderful thing is you have a different message, a different word, a different whisper for each of us. May, Lord, we be attentive to hear it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Let's stand.